Welcome to the Frame Voyager Ungraded Podcast, where today we're having a discussion about speculation. So if you hate speculation and you just don't care about what cameras are coming in the future and you love your seven-year-old camera, which is totally fine, not the podcast for you, but I'm joined here for our guest for this episode, uh, Tim Butner. Is that the correct way to say your last name? Yes. Yeah, awesome. So Tim, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a freelance filmmaker, uh, originally from Vermont, and I'm now living in Florida. Uh, so I've been a Blackmagic user since uh, kind of early 2013 uh, with the original cinema camera. And uh, so, you know, I went to Drexel University, graduated 2010. I used to work in 3D. I worked for a 3D production company called Digital Revolution Studios, who uh, which was run by Craig Tanner, who was the visual effects editor on Avatar. Oh, nice. So we were making 3D television content. And you can see with all the 3D TVs available today <laughs> and all the 3D channels, that really went well. <laughs> so, yeah, so went back to 2D. Obviously, I've worked on numerous different, you know, I've worked on features. Uh, I've done some television stuff. I've done commercials, music videos, uh, you name it. I'm very much across the field as a cinematographer, camera person, but then I also do color. So I color graded uh, The Wild Man, a movie about the Florida Bigfoot called Skunk Ape uh, <laughs> this year, last year, since now 2022, but in 2021, mm -hmm. that movie is hopefully going to be out soon. It's been in the festival circuit recently. Awesome. So I'll keep an eye out for it. And I know too, I've read on your profile too, that you actually were one of the early testers on the original black magic Ursa cameras. Yeah, that came about interestingly because again, I was living in Vermont at the time and I, they used to do these New York events. And so the second one that they did, they did one in 2014 and then in 2015, after they introduced the Ursa mini 4.6k but it wasn't available yet i actually was asking some questions about how does it work in cold weather and like so one of the marketing guys kind of pulled me to the side and said i'm gonna get you on a beta list because <laughs> we we might you have some interesting we could get some feedback so i got an early unit took it out negative 17 degree <laughs> weather now the camera functioned mm -hmm. me well, let's face it. I don't think I function in negative 17 <laughs> degrees. I mean, my follow focus also got really stiff and the tripod fluid head was getting stiff and all that stuff. But the camera worked perfectly fine. Man, that's pretty crazy. I actually grew up in um, Western New York. So I do remember some days that, that negative <laughs> that negative weather it was crazy. It's funny enough, Tim and I have uh, kind of gone back and forth in a lot of the community groups on Black Magic about the speculation and um, some of the different different things um so it's always kind of fun running into you online so we thought why not uh talk about black magic and expand upon some of the predictions i've made in some of my videos and some that tim has for 2022 what black magic could be uh you know possibly doing in this year and it's, it's kind of a fun subject some people don't like speculating but i i just kind of think it's fun to kind of figure out what they're up to it's fun, but also the other thing that's beneficial is Blackmagic listens to their community. Mm -hmm. A lot of what they did with the original Ursa Mini was based off of feedback they were getting with regards to the cinema camera and the production camera. A lot of what they did with the newer Pocket 6Ks, you know, uh, well, the Pocket 6Ks, but also the original Pocket 4K came from feedback they got from the original Pocket. And... Again, the Ursa Mini Pro was continued feedback. So they listen to the community. So speculating can actually feed into them mm -hmm. having an idea, which is where this is beneficial because they might hear something and say, ooh, we want to try. It may take three years before they implement it, but yep. it gives them an idea. Yeah. So we're just pretty much pitching them really good ideas that we'll never get credit for and they'll make all the money off of, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that as long as I get to use the camera. Oh, hundred so. percent. Um, yeah, I've I've done that a couple of times where I'm just pit like I just have fun with the videos and say like, oh, Black Magic should do this or that, and who knows if they watch YouTube videos. I'm sure they probably pay more attention to you in the Black Magic uh, <laughs> forum groups. But um, what did you? They definitely yeah. because they read what you're saying, and there's been censoring. I know, uh, like especially like 
I've occasionally forgotten, like, uh, you know, I quoted Airy Gold, uh, like, you know, uh, in one of them, and they had, they definitely censored it because it was, I feel like it was the GIF. It was like, uh, I forget what it was, but it was like, silence is golden, but he, he says it's silence is effing golden. <laughs> And I couldn't find one without the F word. And because I was trying to illustrate like black magic doesn't always respond. They are very they're just, silent. They're in the background quietly listening. <laughs> yes. But they do occasionally come on like so uh, Captain Hook and Tim Schumann mm-hmm. both engage with the community every once in a while. And they do input information out there. Hmm. Do you ever see uh, Grant Petty? come through at all or you think he's uh, no. watching it all no i, I don't think <laughs> i think he's got other things on his plate to, uh, dealing with the forum people you know, like, <laughs> never... basically consider like oh crap i'm gonna blank i'm gonna mess this up it's been so long since i read the time machine but consider the forum people like the uh the the underground dwellers <laughs> and the other people who live above ground the higher society the, that's where Grant That's is. where Grant is. That makes sense. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, which, of course, it kind of leads into my latest video I made, um, which is the micro cinema camera. I always like to throw in a, a fun little Grant Petty uh, um, teaser or something in there. I guess I, I had him. Um, I was talking about how there's like a sinister plan in black magic to make, you know, they're not telling us that's why they're taking all the micro cinema cameras off the shelves. Cause they're releasing a new one. So, um, I think in the latest video, I, I had him have like devil horns or something on a TV or something. I always love playing around with him, but what do you think about the micro cinema cameras, um, that they have? I think there's a lot of potential and, Due to the demand for the box camera that I see in the Facebook groups mm-hmm. and on the forums, I think there will be a redesign using probably... I've pitched the Ursa Micro as the idea, like Ooh. taking some aspects of the Ursa mm-hmm. Mini and making it smaller, maybe getting rid of the XLR ports, you know, yep. just making everything smaller... And then taking that original box design that they had with the micro and essentially going ahead and putting it all together where people want the larger sensors. So obviously it will probably be Super 35. I would love interchangeable lens mount because that's one of my favorite. I The one thing I hate about the pockets is, what? you know, the micro four thirds, you can put adapters easily on, but yep. the EF mount of the 6Ks is a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Now I've done the PL modification for the 6K Pro before, and then I went back to EF for you know the corporate work that I sometimes mm-hmm. do, where it's easier to have two EF cameras. But nonetheless, I'd rather have it that you can put whatever mount you need to onto the camera. So like the Ursas, they kept yeah, yeah, like the Ursas. That's why I love the Ursa so much. But so they kept that interchangeable lens mount. Went with good battery solution like, you know, Core SWX now makes really nice, small, compact V-mount batteries. So they've done it for the Raptor. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you can essentially then do that with the micro Hmm. and then get it so that you have, like, the little status LCD from that Ursa Mini and put that on there and allow a little bit more menu access to just yep. control settings, but then have the external monitor be the solution or an EVF kind of system. So that way you can view things, but then that gives everyone the gimbal camera that they want in a micro form. That gives them, you know, that small compact camera that like, you know, like they used on the Kingsman mm-hmm. or, you know, even I think I want to say Jason Bourne may have used the micro cameras back in 2016 See, was when that that would make more sense though i've been so confused why the the and it's not even the cinema micro it's the well obviously it makes sense that it's a studio 4k because you can record externally which gives them a little bit more freedom but it's a little interesting i thought choice for that movie and the fact that they highlighted it as much as they did Black Magic loves to highlight anytime any of their gear is used. True, yeah. <laughs> and because even the original cinema camera was used on Mad Max. And mm-hmm. w- when it came to Mad Max, one of the things is they originally were using the 5D 
And then they went back to do some reshoots and the cinema camera was available. So what they ended up saying was, oh, we can use this. It will match with the area Alexa really well. And it gives really great quality. And like, essentially, it's a great crash camera, you know, like, so the original cinema, and like, I know the Expendables, one of the, I want to say the second one or the third one, I'm not sure which movie, they dropped the camera down an elevator shaft. Mm -hmm. And like, the media (laughs) was fine. I think they broke the lens and the camera was pretty fine, kind of. They maybe destroyed the camera, but nonetheless, like, so Blackmagic makes really super, for, for Hollywood... Oh, we can write off, you know, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars breaking a camera Mm -hmm. uh, that is like something like this. And it gives great quality as long as the media is intact and we're able to pull the footage. So like that's where those micro cameras for Hollywood is so useful. And especially when it comes to the pockets, they do use that for that purpose. Yeah, I've been see you keep seeing more and more and more of them being used in those like almost like a crash cam or like those quick things that they need to where it, it you know, it almost opens up some creative possibilities having such a powerful camera that doesn't cost, you know, the price of a house like an Ari. Um cuz yeah, like you said, it's easy to justify like, oh, 2000, you know, few thousand dollars here we destroyed the camera, it's fine instead of, you know, messing up an Ari camera. So, I it's so to me, it's so fascinating how black magic has inserted themselves into the market like this. Um, even with just like cool things like that. And I feel like it'd be interesting going forward if they did update this line and they start making more cinema cameras, you know, for things that have only been specifically in like the prosumer, right? Like, cause I feel like these micro cameras are almost like, it's like the better version. It's a cinema version of a GoPro essentially. So, um, yes, it very much is. And, when you look back at like original marketing, like they had a helmet type of attachment and like someone on a motorcycle and like the camera's just off to the side attached to the helmet mm-hmm. uh, for one of the micros. Yeah, th- that's definitely, you know, cause I remember meeting someone from GoPro years ago and like just kind of engaging with them asking like if they're ever going to do like better dynamic range and, and they're like, mm-hmm. that's not really our market. And like, like, and that's the thing, like their market's just consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the just average Joe who doesn't need the things that us filmmakers need with image fidelity or just higher bit depth or higher, uh, you know, uh, chroma subsampling or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, we are very picky perfectionist kind of people. And sadly, GoPro is not going to adhere to that, but black magic can fill that void. Yeah. And an incredible, like at an incredible price point too, with what I would say would be, what do you think of B-Raw? I, I, to me, B-Raw is such a, like to, to me, that's what makes black magic cameras um, work so well, in my opinion, is their codex. Like, I just think they're really good codex and it's really, it, you know, cause typically when you use raw files or even like GoPro files, it, it does not, it's not super easy to f- like edit on your computer, but using B raw files, it's like probably one of the easier files like types to actually edit on. And it's so expansive on what you can do with it. Yeah. I think what, you know, originally with the original cinema cameras, it was cinema D and G. Yeah. And what they did with Black Magic Raw solved so many of those issues mm-hmm. that existed with Cinema DNG. You had a folder filled with individual frames of every DNG <laughs> <Yep>. frame. <laughs> and I remember those early days as well, like, because Black Magic did an amazing job getting DaVinci Resolve to be a great NLE. Mm-hmm. I edit everything in it now where back then though i had to use premiere so i was transcoding out of davinci into prores so i could edit in premiere to then go back to davinci to color grade to go back to premiere to you know do <laughs> yeah. the finish and it was just like oh my god such an immense amount of like hassle but you know then trying to load the and dng is an adobe Thing. They created it and they couldn't even work with it in Premiere. Not even what they could, they worked with it, but it was not as good as what Black Magic had done in Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. And then compressed cinema DNG was especially the Achilles heel of Premiere where it could not work with it. So then you had to use, and so that's when I really started editing in 
DaVinci was in 2016 when I had the OSA Mini 4.6K and I was editing those compressed cinema DNG files and it was just like, I just, I could transcode or, you know, the editing features are fine enough. I have a good, powerful iMac. It works. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just edit in here. Then in 2017 with version 14 of Resolve, it was incredible what an improvement everything was. They not only did a bunch of UI fixes, but they made the machine, so the software so much more powerful that everything worked better on my machine. Mm -hmm. And then... In 2018, they introduced Blackmagic Raw. And I understand there's some people like, oh, you, you have more real Raw with Cinema Danger <laughs> uh, versus Blackmagic Raw. But honestly, what exactly? It's still reading the same sensor data. Yeah, and I, it's still yeah, getting that fidelity where you can control how much you get out of the image yeah and at the end of the day like sure is the quality maybe not like as good but it's like you have to like get in so close into the footage to even see the difference of it and and there's like plenty of films too that have literally used prores <laughs> as the codec for their films so like is is raw is that cd and g raw like all it's really cracked up to be kind of i don't think so yeah. i've been working with Black Magic Raw now for, I'll say as close to as long as I worked with Cinema D and G, not quite actually, but close. We're, but it's so much more manageable. It's nice having just a single file plus the sidecar file mm -hmm. aspect of it is so nice. Like I can literally use those in Mini Pro, go in Resolve, update the sidecar file so it's just reading generation five include that sidecar and hand off the files if i know i'm gonna give someone some uh black magic raw files but cinema dng it was so cumbersome and like oh you know if some of the frames went disappearing out of the folder like things just were things didn't want to work it's like you had missing frames and it was like mm -hmm. what happened to those frames like they were there but like Somehow those frames were disappearing <laughs> and like it it was weird. Like there, I had some things happen with Cinema D and G that I still to this day don't think I can properly explain. <laughs> like just like going from camera to one hard drive, going to another hard drive and just all these things where it's like frames weren't missing. And, <laughs> and then black magic raw is just so good in and, Plus, you get the various compressions. And then the quality, Q1, 3, 5, you know, Q0, you get that where it's it's analyzing the image and choosing what compression it's going to do. It's, it's just so magical mm -hmm. and so great that I think that's one of the best things that they did. You have the constant bit rate, but then you have constant quality yep. as well. It's, yeah. And it, as... It's pointed out often, well, if you have more in focus, if you're using a wider lens and you have a lot more detail, yeah, the files are going to be bigger. But then if you have a lot of out of focus stuff and it doesn't have to do as much work, yeah, you're going to get smaller file sizes. And like, it's all about how you utilize it to make the best of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best features that they did with regards to- Oh, it's because so, what, what other camera company lets you control your, I mean- Oh, you kind of wish there was more control a little bit more on how much bitrate options you have. But I mean, they give you so many like what? I mean, it's like what up to like 12 options now, essentially, um, or close to so, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, Red, Red has always been really and Red Raw. Listen, I've used Red Raw. It's great. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got a lot of great aspects to it. I do dislike the way Red is a patent troll almost yes. with their patent because I mean, I feel like Aerie could do so much with their cameras if they were able to do more compressed RAW, and they can't because of the fact that they can't get around that stupid patent troll that is, mm -hmm. you know, the big red giant there. Which is and which is weird that they can patent like that. I don't. It's very. This is a very. It, it's it's a very broad type of thing too. Yeah. But did you ever watch Silicon Valley? Uh, I'm trying to remember if I have. Um, what happened on that though? So, so there's a moment when th there's a patent troll episode mm -hmm. where, uh, crap, I'm blanking. Tom, uh, middle, middleston. I forget his name. Middleston. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
his character, I can't remember his character name, Richard Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Anyways, so he is trying to create a new internet and this patent troll, apparently bought up this patent. He just bought patents. Like, so like I knew a guy a decade ago who bought all these web domains for 3D just, just so he would have them. So like, and if you want it, oh, well, you're going to have to pay me for that web domain kind of stuff mm-hmm. and like so like there's these people who have money who just will buy certain things so like he's dealing with a patent troll who's a lawyer and like apparently he sued a bunch of musicians and made and like then richard hendrix's compression algorithm in silicon valley allows him to figure out that oh the song that he was saying he had the copyright for that he was a patent troll or whatever with where he made a bunch of his money technically was stolen off of another song because he was able to figure that out and was able to get around it. But essentially red is like that right now mm-hmm. with this, because they did this in 2005, I want to say is the year Jeez. that they put this patent down and it was anything above 2k resolution. <laughs> Think about this. Any compressed raw above 2k is like the broad strokes of what the patent kind of said. That's just that I don't, that's interesting. I wonder if that patent's going to stand the test of time, like, or it has, because think about the fact that Apple has sued them. Mm -hmm. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. There's a lot of language that they did use in their patent that does help red, but still nonetheless, there's this aspect of like, guys, come on. Like, I know they're just controlling. Oh, and then the thing too is that they like make you, you have to pay for the license to even use red, right? They're, they're raw when you're editing, right? Isn't that a thing with them? No, not really. I mean, I, I, cause I've been able to just get red footage from people and use it in DaVinci Resolve without, I mean, I, I remember using red Cine X mm-hmm. back in the day to transcode footage as well, you know, without going to Resolve. But like, I don't ever remember having to pay them to get a license on my computer. Interesting. Okay. Because I had, I was under the impression that Red, you had to pay for a license to be able to use Red Raw. Maybe that was a bit wrong impression. Or Aerie, you have to pay a license for Aerie Raw on their cameras. Mm. Hmm. So that's that's something with Aerie where you buy the camera, you, you pay- spend 40, <laughs> yeah, you spend 40 grand on an Aerie Alexa Mini. And then you get ProRes, but then you have to buy the license for AeriRaw and to open it up to have the anamorphic, full anamorphic AeriRaw kind of sensor size so you can use anamorphic lenses. <laughs> it's like buying a video game and then having to buy a bunch of DLC packs just to get it to work, essentially. Um. <laughs> yeah. S- same, same thing with Red, though. They have all their proprietary BS, like especially their media. That's one of the things that drove me away mm-hmm. from them so long ago was... You had to buy the red mags and like, as someone pointed out long ago, like it's basically just an SSD Yep. and, and you know, here's the thing. Then the red Raptor, oh, you have to use this specific angel bird CF express code, but it's got red's logo on it. And <laughs> angel bird has a two terabyte code, which is like $50 less. And their code is like 660 gigabytes. Mm-hmm. And they're both the exact same speed. It's just one is red, red approved yeah. and red and red. Yeah. It, it's so, yeah, it almost kind of remi- red uh, and some people disagree with me, but like red always kind of reminds me of like at how Apple does everything. Like if you want Apple, you have to buy everything Apple where black magic's kind of the difference where it's like more like Linux based or windows based. It's like you buy black magic but then you can buy a bunch of other stuff that works with it too. Like there's a bunch of different storage options. There's a cages, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to buy everything black magic. True. Yeah. Although it is nice to buy, like the shoulder mount is decent mm-hmm. and the viewfinder is great. They have a really great. Oh yeah. The viewfinder is so nice. It's just incredible. I mean, I don't, for the years I've been using it, it's a thousand five hundred and they are undercharging for that thing. I think it, but you know, I'm happy with the $1,500 price tag on it. But yeah, and then again, you can use whatever media you want though with them. Mm-hmm. You can use CF, uh, not CF Express, sorry. I want them to go to CF Express. Yeah. Uh, they, you can use CFast 2.0, which Aerie uses. Canon has used and now Canon has gone with C300 Mark III to CF Express. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
CF Express is the future, and I want them to go. That, but you can use SD cards. And dot two SD on use, some of the on the twelve K too, right? Yeah, yeah which is that and, that's crazy. Yeah, the SSDs option as well either with there are so many with the ssd module or you can just plug through usb c the you know uh little you know uh t7 not uh, t5 yeah you, you yeah ssd is like you know so like the options that you have for recording media is so convenient and so nice and then red way back when made their own lenses they don't make lenses anymore <laughs> And Aerie makes lenses, but Aerie makes really good lenses. Mm -hmm. And they've been making lenses as long as they've been making cameras because they made film cameras. Yep. They know what they do. And here's the thing. Aerie has one of the easiest menus. Blackmagic has one of the easiest menus. Red has a good, easy menu, mm -hmm. but it you still have to dig through crap sometimes. Mm -hmm. Canon and Sony have the worst oh, menus. Awful. They are built by engineers and it feels like it and it's like i remember it was a long time since i used a c300 mark two, mm -hmm. and i went on to a shoot and it was like someone asked me to put it into slow motion i'm like wait where's the button and it was like hey tim you're killing me i'm like hold on how do i <laughs> and it's like you have and then shows me i'm like i have to dig through all that menu crap just to God get there damn. yeah and like the person was and it was just like it was this instance of like I'm sorry. I'm using cameras that are just so much easier. Like you help. Yeah, they're more intuitive. That's what the UI for Blackmagic is awesome. Like the the way they have the button layouts, it, you can grab everything you want on the outside, or do it through the touchscreen and like a, like one like two taps essentially to get to everything, or you know plenty of outside buttons to get to the features that you actually need for shooting. Um, and it's easy yeah. to actually go through their menu because it's like actually laid out in a very easy to understand way and it's not just like here's a bunch of words on a black background and then just like lists of stuff that don't really explain to you what it is um yeah well yeah if you ever have dug through the canon menus oh. you it's just even the mark three and i love the mark three because of certain features but i hate the menu system mm -hmm. it just it really drives me up a wall and i know like just to find whether we're in drop frame or not drop frame it is such a pain in the butt sometimes <laughs> on like and between the two the menu is just different enough where it's like working with sound people like and when i go to black magic and it's like are you in drop frame i, I just go to one page and it's so easy to find and it's like yes uh no and <laughs> Boom. Yeah, That's all I need when talking to the sound guy. Like I just hit the menu. I go to setup. I just go to, I think it's, the, I want to say it's the third page. Um, honestly, I have a camera right here with me. <laughs> uh, where is it? Honestly. Oh, first page on setup mm -hmm. time code drop frame yep. on or off. Yeah. It's so, it's so easy to find. Like when you go through it and you just like go through everything, it's, it's, yeah. Like you said, it's intuitive. It's easy. It's easy to find and fix right away. And you're not fumble, fumbling around trying to figure out why something's not wrong in front of a client or something. So <laughs> yeah, um, that, and you know, having a high frame rate button oh, yeah. on the cameras or just, Oh, you just tap on the screen, the frame rate, and then you have the option. It's so nice. So getting into some of our future conversations um we talked a little bit about mm -hmm. micro studio what 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 else do you think um do you think black magic has anything lined up potentially for another pocket camera or an ursa a new ursa i feel like probably not ursa this year since they just did the the 6k broadcast one um well i think the 12k could get an upgrade really because here's the thing Way back when they introduced the 12K, my first thing was, why is it not using CF Express? Mm -hmm. So I expressed that sentiment right away on the forums. And as excited as I was, you know, the 10K price was not what I was going to spend at that point yep. in time. I was at that point making a huge investment in new lenses mm -hmm. and I've complete, I've spent 
15 grand on new lenses now. <laughs> so like, you know, I spent more than that camera was worth, yep. but either way, like the fact of the matter is I made a conscious choice of doing an upgrade on lenses as opposed to a camera. But the thing that is so evident is the 12K was just inwards. They did some stuff to make the 12K work, mm -hmm. but it's still that same body that you had on the other Ursa Mini Pros. Yep. So going to CF Express is definitely something that I think is potentially going to happen. I've been pitching for a long time now that they get rid of that 12-pin high rows connective because that's more for broadcast lenses mm -hmm. or they make it so that it's i want them to go a 2p and limo there specifically so that you can connect like lens motors and power the lens motors through the camera body so you're not having to you know, attach a bunch running, of crap yeah yeah well you're not running a p-tap cable to the battery or having to have a p-tap splitter mm -hmm. and all that crap it's Really annoying having that additional crap. I hate wrangling wires. So having then the lens motors, and I've been pitching that they create their own wireless lens system, uh, you know, motor system and, mm -hmm. you know, fizz unit. They don't need to do it, but, it would be, you know, Aerie has one that's really great. It's expensive as hell. <laughs> but then if they work with other companies like Tilta who has them or even Teradek has theirs. Mm -hmm. So if they work with these other companies, get those two pin connectors that power the motors and communicate with the camera and actually build communication going where then, Ooh, you can map out lenses and think about this. If you're able to map manual lenses because the lens might not have dash eye technology or might not have, you know, the EF mount. And also I'm kind of on that side of let's move away from EF mount mm -hmm. because everyone else, you know, Canon's announced they're no longer doing yep. it, but it's going to take a long time before that really happens. There's so many lenses. But PL is going to stick around. And as much as I want all these lens companies to get PL dash I technology so that you get lens data, nonetheless, if you're able to manually take a lens and map it and have that camera build a lens profile mm -hmm. think about what you can do and resolve and what black magic can do and then with also they talked about a gyroscope way back in 2015 yep. and you've kind of mentioned yep. like oh they've got that hidden stuff in the pockets for like the scent you know kind of motion yeah the horizon and, meter said so, uh, yeah. yeah so they i mean it's built in there it's in the 12k yeah. it's in the 12k so then you get in camera tracking kind of stuff built in there so that it can work with like the Mandalorian type of uh, virtual mm -hmm. LED screen stuff where you have the camera being tracked and you can have a uh, projection going on. Like there's so much potential and they have the right place to be because they fusion built into resolve. They have their color grading. They've got all this nice features that can be, intuitive where so you get a lens that communicates it's able to maybe like oh we know what lens this is and we have resolved so we get all this data and then boom hey lens correction profiles inside of resolve kind of stuff Gosh, that would be that would be excellent um yeah do you see them too maybe even moving because you know canon has their rf lenses now maybe even trying to figure out how to make them compatible with that down the line? Because I know that's the one thing that everyone kind of like harps on, on the Facebook groups is some people want f like autofocus right on it. And it's like, well, yeah. it's a cinema camera, so they don't typically have them. But at the same time, like wh what would you think about autofocus on a black magic camera? So I'm in the camp of, I'd rather have an AC pulling focus or pull my own focus yeah. usually, but I've used the autofocus on the Canon C300, which is still EF mount, mm -hmm. and it's really nice. It, you know, when it works, it's wonderful, mm -hmm. but, you know, when it comes to the RF mount, and I see this on the forums, and we're always talking about, Red made a special deal with Canon, so that Canon could use their raw light kind of whatever <laughs> to get around the Red patent you know whatever you know as we mm -hmm. talked about that patent troll that is red so red was able to maneuver with canon to get that rf mount into their cameras so yeah i mean but airy doesn't have autofocus the new sony venice doesn't have mm -hmm. 
autofocus. I mean, they Sony does have autofocus in some of their other cinema cameras, like the FX6, yeah. FX9, and you know some of those other cameras. But that's E mount, mm-hmm. and you know. I'm not seeing many other people using Sony email no. in their cameras because Sony holds on to it. Just like Canon's going to hold on to their RF mount, except for their deal that they made with, in particular, Red. Fascinating. In terms of Aerie, well, Aerie's got it that they're probably going to stick with PL and LPL, and they're they're very much going. They're so high end that, and they've got a you know I love how. Normal people are always like, oh, well, red's like the main camera used. And like, no, it's airy. No, it's airy. Like, <laughs> if you, you, you name me a movie, I will pull it up on IMDb and show you airy was the main camera. Yep. So Blackmagic has a weird place where I think what they can do is work within certain parameters, but if they design their own lens mount, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother spectrum where they have to create their own lenses to work with autofocus. So unless they make a deal with someone like Sony or Canon, mm-hmm. which is very unlikely because that's competition. Yep. And I'm all for competition. That's why I love having all these companies because when they do something, it causes another company to have to try and do something similar or better exactly and drives down cost like that's why i love having alternate media you know oh so prograde has their cf or this cfast 2.0 cords at this price so you know like 1200 dollars was what it cost in 2014 for 128 gigabytes Mm -hmm. in cfast 2.0 today I could buy that for like maybe 150. Yep. It's crazy. It's crazy how fast things have advanced um, with camera technology and all the different things and how the price is just continually driven down. And then you got black magic yep. coming in. Uh, they just like really, they've upset the whole market. Them and Sony yep. probably in the last decade, just with the the technology and the price points with stuff. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's for, I mean, it's insane. And honestly, like you said, they're in this weird position where I feel like if they did a couple of things, like they're going to gradually start to become the the kind of camera company I think a lot of people are going to want to go to just because it's like set up for live streams. It's set up for production work. It's set up for, you know, the more and more they make it easier for, to like travel and film with it. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of interesting, I think, to see where they go. And maybe you're right. Maybe they do need to go a little bit. Um, maybe they need to like... Um, um, acquire some other companies or something and bring them into the fold with them. Like if they wanted to do lenses, they could always acquire a lens company or um, now I know that they're still that small company and their capital is probably not the same as like a Sony or a Canon or any, you know, any of them, but maybe, maybe it's time to start thinking about some acquisitions, some more acquisitions for them um, outside Possibly. of themselves. Yeah. Remember they are a, they're a smaller company than, I, uh, many of these other ones, like they're smaller than Canon, they're smaller than Sony. So acquiring is a question. I mean, mm-hmm. who do they acquire lens wise? I mean, could they acquire someone like Sigma? Mm-hmm. Mm, possibly. Uh, you know, Sigma doesn't really have autofocus tech really mm-hmm. in many ways. I mean, like I've tried to autofocus with the Blackmagic cameras and the Sigma lenses, uh, not necessarily the best thing. And I've, you know, I still have for still photography my old Canon 7D, the yep. original 7D. Not really the best autofocus there, especially with Sigma lenses. So that's a really tough, challenging thing to say. Who can they acquire? Mm-hmm. But on the live streaming side of things, yeah, that's where especially autofocus could be so useful for them mm-hmm. because that is where a lot of people are going, especially the everyday people who don't want to have to think about things. They want to just be able to set it up and have it work yep. for them. They don't want to spend the money on having a crew of people. Oh, well, I need to hire this guy so we can pull focus on this camera and mm-hmm. this person to follow full focus on this one. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, no. So like, Ease, but again, like autofocus still, if you ever, you wear glasses, I used to wear glasses. I got LASIK last year. Autofocus technology didn't work well with people with glasses. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's a weird thing. Like, you know, it's good technology, but it also isn't 
perfect and it's yet. not there yet see i kind of think in the future maybe we're like 10 20 years away from this but the way everything's come advancing with like ai technology and stuff like what eventually if autofocus you could you they could literally analyze like every movie made and the focus pulling of different movies and stuff and be able to deliver the same quality um focus pulling almost like the same level as a human could um would that make it well yeah what do you think that, that yeah that, that gets to that level of like okay wait we're on a podcast uh <laughs> ai computer overlords i love you i'm a happy little slave uh i have to get that other way yeah. uh, you know the, the guilfoyle uh you know kind of method of being on the so if you've never watched silicon valley like guilfoyle is definitely one of my favorite characters but uh so like um absolutely have to say that AI is a weird thing. And if it can analyze movies and pull focus as well as a person, it will eventually surpass a person mm -hmm. because let's face it, you have human error. I mean, yeah. I've pulled focus so often and it's like, crap, I had a focus buzz. And I literally will say, can I have another take. And sometimes we go back and look and it's just like, the focus buzz was nothing. Yep. But I could feel it. And I'm asking for another take because I want to be better. Now, the question is, is an AI going to be able to do that? You know, the AI messes up. Is it going to say, oh, hey, I think I screwed up. Can I have another one? Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's the thing. Like, above all else, you can never trust computers to, let's, how often do you find Siri can't give you what you ask for? Mm -hmm. So, and same with Amazon's Alexa. Uh, what's the other one? The Google, Google Home or the Google uh, Home or whatever it is. I know Google has some. Yeah. yeah. But no, no, like we've got it. It's a running joke right now. And like, I just watched the pilot of uh, How I Met Your Father and they did the 2050 and it's like, you know, like call my son and like the lights come on. It's like, I didn't ask for the lights. It's 2050. How is this still not working? <laughs> so like that joke's still being made. Now, How I Met Your Father is no, is a pale comparison to How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother, so much better. Either way, like <laughs> the jokes are there. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we do not trust computers appropriately. And even still like, when it comes to focus, having a person that you can tell, I want you to focus from this person to this person and then back to this and, you know, mm -hmm. and orchestrate an actual intelligent move with focus pulling where it becomes such a team effort and it's a beautiful dance yep. where there's just that artistry is brilliant when it all comes together oh i totally agree and, that's and i think even like the focus pulling in the air i think that's too what makes films so good is that even in some of the errors like you know there's things that like you said it's like not always perfect focus pulling but that kind of adds to that human storytelling element in my opinion that uh you know you get with autofocus it's just that like hard calculated everything's perfect right and it kind of takes away mm -hmm. some of that like imperfection that comes across and like all art when you start having computers do everything. Well, there's also, I've seen a lot of people saying about tragedy of Macbeth right now. It's too sharp. It, it just, it looks, you know, it, it looks gorgeous, but it's, it doesn't feel like film or the same artistry that we had. And that's the Alexa LF that they used on that. Hmm. And I think the signature primes, but it just, and there's some beautiful cinematography in that, especially for black and white. But, you know, like, that artistry is what we're talking about, where there's still that handcrafted nature for it, but people are harping on, it feels so crisp, so clean, mm -hmm. all these different things. So, that, yeah, when you have a computer doing something so perfectly, does it take away that organic feel? Yep. People still love reading books that are written on, uh, printed on the page, like turning the actual page mm -hmm. is still something like that tactile feel is something beautiful. And I feel like that's what, when it comes to filmmaking, people still want, they want that feeling that it's not automated, that someone 
worked hard to craft it. Yeah, that's very well put. Yeah, that's about how I how I would perceive that as well. And you can feel that in certain movies, right? Like if you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie or one of these guys that's like very attent like attentive to how they're filming it. Or even like um the latest um movie the Dune. That movie. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I watched it twice in IMAX. I I want to see it again in IMAX. I I watched it several times on digital. I watched it on HBO Max when it was there mm-hmm. like twice. So I watched it four times within like a short <laughs> period of time. And then I own it now and it's like, it's just so well. And what Denis Villeneuve did with the, you know, like instead of green screens, he put like big kind of sand colored boards yep. up. I, that and fascinating. It's he just did so much that, and again, well handcrafted. Like every technique they used, the visual effects meld so well because they went with organic styles of doing things. Mm-hmm. And you you just get so, I mean, like you can't really like. There's any CGI component of it. The the creative design and like the elements how they did everything behind it are so well executed that it's so artistic the way they did it and it's so it kind of pains me i know we're getting a little off topic of black magic but it pains me to see sci-fi movies nowadays that are so commercialized and so like you know mainstream like i think to me the the ultimate mainstream sci-fi movie was kind of uh passengers with uh, chris pratt <laughs> um where it's just like i still never saw it oh yeah i i mean i didn't see it either because i saw it and i'm like meh but like, you know, movies like um, um, like this or Interstellar or even like 2001 Space Odyssey or like early sci-fi movies or um, even like a movie like, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Sunshine. Um, I'm trying to remember Sunshine, Sunshine, wait. Is that the one where they're going to restart the sun? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Killian Murphy. Yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah, and then uh, Chris, um, Danny. Chris Evans, and a bunch of other people, and it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, I love that. And there's one. something about those movies and sci-fi where it's like it's art. It's not like this commercialized thing because it's all you know, it's all philosophical and like it's just the the spectacle of it. Is that's what I feel like. Dune kind of heart harped back to that whole uh, time with that. But um, exactly. Well, again, it was written by one of the. You know, he's a great sci-fi writer, Frank Herbert. And, you know, the best part is they did have Brian Herbert on there. You know, like before Denis was even introduced as the director, I was following Brian Herbert on uh, Twitter. And so like seeing the progress of how this was going and then like, oh my God, they got Denis. And then like all these different things and like the casting was actually... I pitched uh, uh, the girl from uh, Pan's Labyrinth to Brian Herbert as uh, like, uh, you know, the possible uh, who Zendaya ended up playing uh, mm-hmm. uh, Brian uh, Cheney. Like, and like, you know, th- that actress actually was like, oh my God, I lo- would love this. I have to find a way to audition, blah, blah, blah. Like that, <laughs> those Twitter exchanges, it's weird. Like somehow when you get these celebrity people to actually engage, it's like, I'm a nobody still, you know, but it's like, but you know, like, so it's interesting because that whole aspect of how they built it was right. And it goes back to the source material. When you read what Frank Herbert wrote, it's so engrossed in sci-fi. Now, of course, one of my other favorite fantasy authors, J.R.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. did not like Dune. He did, but he was someone who was like, I don't want to diss another writer. I don't want to harshly criticize another writer so i'm just gonna leave it as uh, it's not for me yeah there's something about that where we don't have that anymore Mm -hmm. amongst creatives or anyone making content and listen i love what nolan did with interstellar i'm glad you brought that movie up Mm -hmm. because it's a wonderful movie it's filled with plot holes. Oh, and yeah. if you go back to like the original script that was going to be done under Spielberg, there's things where it's like, okay, there's plot holes there that were solved, but then not solved like new plot. So like originally they found the drone first and that was supposed to lead them to the, uh, the NASA. Mm-hmm. But you know, like here's the thing, if they had made it so that they were trying to interpret a code in the drone and the ghost behind the shelf helped them and they got to NASA earlier and it's essentially his future self helped himself get to NASA earlier so he could be there. 
it solves a whole lot of different things mm-hmm. and just so there's a lot of things that interstellar beautifully shot yep wonderfully well done very philosophical very thinking yes. kind of sci-fi and very great the soundtrack was obviously one of the best yeah, yeah. hans zimmer <laughs> well hans zimmer again with dune like yeah and yeah uh so but yeah, let's get back to black magic. We've we've got off tangents. I know it's so hard to yeah. I mean, just talking about because I feel like so much of this stuff is connected, and even like the grounding and we're talking about in some of those films and the way we feel. But but I'll I'll take it back to black magic with this though, yeah. since we're talking sci-fi. Black magic has a great place to be for these sci-fi movies because of what they've built into Da Vinci with Fusion and what they were talking about way back when with the gyroscope, where they can get great camera tracking technology that where all the information is there in the video file that then it's able to be read by Fusion that you're able to put in those virtual environments and or you're able to basically put in your CG elements. Mm-hmm. It's... That's who they should acquire, Blender. They should acquire Ooh, Blender. That's a good... Get a 3D modeling program in there, and then basically maybe afterwards acquire Unreal Engine too. That would be something. Man. Yeah, because then they just require, they acquire that. Because that feels like the future of filmmaking, doesn't it? Like being able to create things on a stage like that with, well, with all the natural lighting and not having to do everything green screen anymore. Um that would be fascinating. I mean, green screen still has its purpose. Oh, for sure. For sure. But it doesn't give you that, like, you still deal with the problems of, like, which, you know, in Dune, they use the sand screen so that when the light was bouncing off of it, it wasn't going to be green. But they use that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was sand colored, so it would reflect the right kind of light. Where if you're on that stage, like, you know, uh, um, Mandalorian or Boba Fett or whatever, um, that you just get the, that perfect lighting for the environment. You don't have to worry about it in post and it saves probably a ton of money and honestly makes series have better visual effects than they would have if you didn't, you know, if you had to do it on green screen. And this is where I'm going to bring us back to Black Magic yes. again with this though. Black Magic's Ursa Mini was used by John Favreau in early testing of like a lot of that technology on like Lion King. Interesting. If you go back and watch the gallery, uh, various episodes, you see the Ursa Mini at one point and Favreau using it when he was doing the Jungle Book. He's holding one of those and like with the little camera tracker on top of it and just kind of playing around with things. You, he, they, So as much as, you know, they're using the Ares for, you know, the fact that Ares has, you know, such a stranglehold on the industry as a standard, but like the fact that they were using Black Magic for just testing is quite a testament. Yeah, bodes well to the future of black magic even back then. I mean, it's it's what makes this year so exciting because I feel like they've finally gotten their lines updated. They've, you know, they've introduced that new sensor with 12K or their new how they do it. It'll be interesting to see how they utilize some of that in the future. What do you think 2022, maybe NAB conference, do you think they're going to release a camera if it happens? Well, the last few years... Technically, they've introduced a camera before NAB usually, like except for the Pocket 4K was introduced at NAB, Mm -hmm. but March 2nd, March 3rd period is when they introduced the uh, Ursa Mini Pro in 2017. Mm -hmm. Then they introduced the Ursa Mini Pro G2 March 2nd of 2019. 2020, it was like July 6th. 16, 17, mm-hmm. when they introduced the Semini Pro 12K. So we all get into that time period where an update is right yep. for the 12K. And again, like I said, new media. If they get CF Express, they can get faster read write speeds and they can really maybe get 120 at frames per second at 12K. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That'd, That'd be, be pretty impressive. Insane. Yeah. So... Do you think, uh, like, I kind of feel like maybe it's been long enough where maybe there's a line of something coming out new. Maybe they're, maybe they've like listened to a lot of people. Maybe they're going for a different form factor for their cameras. Like we had talked about with the micro or that like box. Is that? Yeah. So something else I've been pitching for a long time Mm -hmm. on the forums and you can look, you have to search the forums because I've (laughs) said it so many times. Wireless control from 
the video assist. So I want the video assists to be able to connect via Bluetooth and have on-screen touch control over the camera Ooh, settings. I like that. And that's something I've been pitching. So if they brought that to a new 12K this year with the CF Express, with the lens motor control stuff, and like they really did all these things, I think they could take the industry to a whole nother level for themselves and others because then the video assists are nice, but I don't need the on you know, board recording features. No. That's not important. So you replace that with, if they built in even just, if they built their own wireless video transmitter oh, yeah. to go where that SSD thing goes usually. So it's in between the battery. You get a wireless transmitter there that feeds into a wireless transmitter that's built into the video assists, which also still have the ability to, from a certain distance, connect to the camera and be able to control camera settings and you're able to control, you know, the menu, you can update the slate. Mm -hmm. And I really want them to expand the slate. They need to, you know, I want them to get, instead of 1A being seen, I want them to do scene one shot A, then uh, take one so that way when you bring it into resolve you have that little bit of extra separation yep yep uh because i love within resolve you can rename files or reorganize them appropriately using all that metadata yep and that's one of the huge reasons i loved black magic so early on the metadata is oh it's amazing. excellent yeah it's so it's so helpful so, to have that yeah. uh yeah so I, I, you get that wireless set up going they're gonna really that would be up. excellent i would love that just the wire like built in because who else has that and you got to think about it too you got to wonder that you know there seem to be some kind of issues plaguing that 12k camera right because they had to drop it like almost 50 percent of its price within the first year that, that's actually something that i do know is because it was costing so much for them to make those sensors mm -hmm. initially and then it became more affordable for them, so they dropped the price. Which is interesting. You kind of, you kind of wish that you had a little bit of warning on that because it kind of it was just kind of an interesting thing. But I did hear that they but they, they do things so suddenly, like all they of do. a sudden, like <laughs> because they announced Black Magic Raw at a point in time when, like, I was on a shoot. I remember, like, I was in one place and we had to drive like a hundred miles to. We were shooting at golf courses, and like that, I was shooting pro res for it, and like the day. I woke up and they had the Black Magic Raw announcement. I'm just like, son of a bitch, I could be shooting raw on this <laughs> and have like, because I was shooting ultra high def pros 422HQ. But yep. Black Magic Raw in 4.6K, 76 minutes on a 256 gigabyte cord is more time at 8 to 1 ratio than what you get with ultra at 46 minutes for ultra high def. Pros four two two HQ. So like that was, and I think maybe it's, I want to say it's maybe fifty something minutes for five to one. Either way, like it was just like I could get more onto a cord, and like so. But again, it was just like oh, but I only had the original so many at that point because I didn't choose to upgrade to those so many pro because. There wasn't enough to make, I mean, internal no. ND, yes, nice, but not a thing that would make me buy. The interchangeable lens mount was the biggest thing, but I was still using EF lenses yeah. then. So it was like, not necessarily if I rent something PL, then I'd be probably, the budget would be there for a PL camera. Uh, and then, of course, the on-camera, you know, buttons and dials and whatnot yep. never really sold me, you know, wasn't necessary. The Bluetooth was the biggest other thing other than interchangeable lens mount, but yeah, Bluetooth's nice. I don't when it works. It's nice, but I don't use it all the time. Yeah, I only use it when I'm it's, recording myself or doing like YouTube stuff. Like I'll just turn it on and do it, and then like sometimes it's nice to have that because you can actually focus it the lenses and stuff from your phone depending on the lenses. That, that's nice too, but also multi camera where you can control both cameras yep. then, and especially specifically because of Bluetooth Plus app which is developed by someone else, not Blackmagic Design, he's done far better with developing that app than Blackmagic mm -hmm. ever did with their iPad-only app. So you can at least do it from a phone. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, like they dropped these news, and I think because they were announcing things 
way back when you look at the Ursa Mini 4.6K, they announced that, and it took from NAB 2015, which is April, Mm -hmm. to March 2016, when they actually finally released it to the public, when you could actually start getting it shipped to you. Now, of course, I got my unit in January 2016 because of the fact that I was beta testing and, you know, giving them that feedback of that, you know, oh, Mm -hmm. it works in negative 17 degree weather. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, like, I still ended up sending back that unit and getting my own unit and all that, you know. But nonetheless, like, you know, they had that long gestation period and people were just like on them. So now they just kind of announce cameras yeah. and dump it. So, I know it like at the worst times too, because like some of the stuff's like, it, they do it on like Fridays at like midnight for me in, you know, East Coast US. So it's like, um, I always like to jump on and make some videos on it too, to just kind of like bring the information to people as much as I can, but I know about it, but it's always like, gosh, like now I have to go make a video at like two in the morning. Cause, <laughs> cause you're dumping it, you know, at such weird well, that's, times. That's why I'm not into the being part of the news world. So as we wrap up, I guess final predictions, I think micro cinema line, I think I've already predicted that mm-hmm. maybe a box form, maybe a box form line um, camera, but I would say like you, you're saying too, is like an updated Ursa 12 K or something of that nature fixed the sensor, maybe fixed a little bit updated with what, cause I know they were working with Netflix to fix a few things. And um, like maybe you said, like a couple of the features added on that. And I, I kind of, I could kind of see that. I don't really see a pocket camera coming out this year. A Pocket is a tough one. They did just come out with the Pocket 6K Pro last year. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the Micro is a safe bet. They came out with a broadcast camera, so I think there's not going to be any broadcast updates this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, so the broadcast really fills the need for, like, they used to do, like, those just pure studio type of cameras yep. as well, where, like, it was just the screen and, like, you could just put a lens on it and like it had just connections yep. to go to atom switches and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, other than the micro and updating the Ursa, it's, it's really tough to say what they could do. They could surprise us. They really do a great job at that surprises? surprising us. Yeah. Cause no one would have guessed the 12 K in the year of last year was like, everything was eight K or I mean 20, like, around that time 2020 i guess yeah it was like dang it's it's pretty crazy um to have that but they also spent a long time developing that's a whole new sensor it's a non-bayer pattern sensor it's very revolutionary in that design and that's what i love about Mm -hmm. it even if it wasn't for me at the time and i still i'm still hesitant i don't want to buy into the 12k yet because again like i see like well if i'm going to invest in this I want to be investing in the new media cords that will work better. And I want to invest in, and again, like I made the investment in lenses, but I also want to invest in having the features, like I said, where, oh, if I can control it wirelessly from a video assist, if I can, you know, I actually have certain things. And I contacted Tilta about, you know, making a high rose connector to plug into the, you know, and they said, well, we have to talk to Blackmagic. But it's we like the idea of like being able to power from the camera through that twelve pin high rose yep. connector and just going right to the motor from there. But again, like you get that two pin limo and like it's a cinema camera. People are using wireless lens motors. They have mm-hmm. you know the Nano from Tilter. They have the uh, Nucleus. You have uh, PD Movie has theirs. Uh, <laughs> Teradek has theirs. You obviously have Aerie with the WCU4 and then the new Hi5. Um, I forget who else. There's a lot of companies. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it, like you said, we can sit here and predict too about what Blackmagic might do, but they always seem to have some kind of surprise for us. And you're like, did not expect that camera. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to I see what's going to happen in the next few months because I really yeah. feel, I feel like there's a release coming here soon. The biggest thing that's definitely going to happen is DaVinci Resolve 18, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's where I think if they do something in conjunction where, ooh, this new Ursa Mini Pro 12K really tracks for visual effects stuff, like, hey, we've got, we perfected the gyroscope stuff and we got all this working, 
And now you can integrate your VFX. And think about the fact that like with Avatar, they did simulcam where they could get visual effects fed into. And, you know, you have the ultimate from Black Magic Design, which allows you to see the green screen replaced in a broadcast environment. Mm-hmm. You get that even going with, hey, you want to build some visual effects assets and see it in camera with your live action actors while also seeing the green screen gone? You can now do it with this new Black Magic tool set. Yep. And it all is powered through Fusion and DaVinci Resolve. They would corner a market for sure because everything's moving towards that direction now. Like there's, it's not even yeah. movies. It's like TV shows and stuff need that technology. So it's exciting. They, they, it's exciting yeah. to see kind of what's going on. And um, um, appreciate you hanging out with me today though to, to talk sure about thing, this. Yeah. yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I mean, again, they are in the perfect cornerstone and it all stems from them buying DaVinci Resolve in 2009. Mm-hmm. That was the best acquisition they ever did. Hope for sure. Again, thanks for hanging out and predicting the future of black magic and stuff for this year in 2022. It's been uh, great hanging out with you. I hope we can have you on uh, again. What a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure as well. Boxes, boxes. I cannot fit in the boxes.